Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we have Jason Mitchell back on the show. We get a little bit of an update from Jason, and recently on the Jason Mitchell Outdoors YouTube page uh, from earlier this winter, uh, a new great video dropped uh, all about ice camping. Now, Jason Mitchell doesn't do a ton of ice camping at this point in time in his career, but it's a really fun conversation, and ice camping has definitely, in the last couple of years, uh, become more and more popular in the industry. So we talk a little bit about that and give Jason a chance to you know, go back and talk about his experience with ice camping, You know, maybe back in the day early in his career, before it was the cool thing to do, um, more so probably done just out of necessity. We'll let Jason talk all about that and then talked about now, you know, why why it's so popular now. And, and we're not talking about ice camping in those sleeper-style shacks with a warm bed and, and a TV playing. We're talking a little bit more camping style and everything that goes into that for Jason. Some great recommendations, some really fun stories to listen to. And you learn a lot about, uh, you know, when, where, and how, you know, ice camping can be a really, really fun thing to do and, and a new fishing experience and why people do it. We definitely talk about, uh, you know, kind of making the memories, but also the fishing patterns. You know, we probably don't talk enough about some of these nighttime bites and why, you know, setting yourself up to do a little ice camping is going to keep you out there fishing when uh, there's some good opportunities to catch some fish at night and after dark. So, anyways, great conversation about ice camping. Towards the end, we get a little bit of an update uh, on all the other things that Jason's been doing. We get some Devil's Lake updates. We talk a little bit about another recent video up to Lake Winnipeg. We just don't know when we're going to have Jason back on. So before we wrap it up, we try to get a little bit of update from everything that he's been up to. And uh, yeah, really great show, though. We spend most of our time on ice camping, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Let's get into this interview. Jason Mitchell, Ice Camping. And wherever you're getting the podcast, head down to the comments section or find us on Facebook, JMO Radio Podcast. And, uh, you know, just find a way to reach out. We really love hearing from you guys what you like and don't like uh, about the show, you know, how we can always be making it better, as well as, you know, building it for you guys. Recommendations for topics or guests of upcoming episodes. We want to hear it. We want to hear from you guys. And, uh, you know, we have a whole bunch of them, but that's probably my favorite thing. When the inbox lights up, when the comment section lights up, and uh, you know we start getting that feedback, it really gives such great direction on where uh, we, and who we want to have our next great fishing conversation with on the show. So head to the comment section, let us know. Now let's get into this interview. But the first thing that I had written down, now we're going to talk ice camping in this episode, and we might bounce around to a few different you know, sort of like uh, elements to the whole deal and kind of all the different storylines. But to just start it off, Jason, I just wanted to start it off with kind of having you go back and talk about ice camping, sort of like those old time stories of of your experience ice camping back in the day and just sort of how it contrasts to now because it's, it's a total deal now, right? I mean, you see it on YouTube, but it's almost kind of a novelty thing and it's almost... You know, some of the stuff that you see is almost like clickbait, but way back when you started doing it, there was nothing clickbait about it. So I kind of wanted to have you start there. Go back, tell us about your experiences camping out on the ice for the first time and just kind of how that all is for you. Well, it was just, uh, I guess it was borderline miserable back in the day. And I guess it was just a deal where we, uh, 
we basically spent the night out on the ice because we were too broke to drive back and forth, you know, and uh, we were definitely too broke to get a hotel room, you know, and so it was kind of a deal where we could make our butt go a little further by, you know, going down, fishing all day, sleep and fish all night and then fish the next day and come home whenever, you know, and, and, you know, way back in the day, I'm talking like when I was in high school, you know, in college age, you know, late teens, early twenties, you know, we didn't have the, you know, the flip overs and the hubs that we have today, you know, none of that existed. You know, we were using these homemade four by eight portables that were made out of plywood and a blue tarp, you know, and, uh, and they were comfortable. I mean, they, you know, did what we needed them to do, but, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of equipment, you know, and um, sunflower heaters, you know, so carbon monoxide poisoning was always a, you know, a big worry where you always had to have ventilation or a window or a door crack, you know, and, and um, yeah, we did that a lot, but, uh, you know, we were young and just wanted to fish, you know, we just couldn't get enough fishing, you know, so the thought of fishing all day and then fishing while you're sleeping at night or trying to sleep at night was a, you know, pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty romantic concept, you know, that, uh we did, we signed up for that quite a bit when we were young, so. Yeah, 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 and I think that a lot of those elements are still sort of the same with all this, um, you know, with all this ice camping. It's The last couple of years, it's kind of, it's almost been like a popular, you know, topic in the industry, when especially with YouTubers, you know, and some of this stuff that's almost borderline like clickbait, where, you know, they're purely just doing it for the entertainment to make a video to get some views. But I think at the core of it, the the core elements to it are still like that, you know, that it's just fun to go out and fish. You, you go through those experiences and, and uh, you know, who knows what you might catch at night, but also just, you know, just, yeah, the overall experience of it. Um you know, and in, in other cases, guys way up north where they're just so remote and so far away from places um, that it does make total sense, right? Like, it's like, you know, just the wear and tear on the machine to drive all the way back to town. I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, for you in the industry now, you know, you you are, you know, Jason Mitchell Outdoors. We film fishing, you know, we make content. And you look back on, you know, your high school days before you ever made content or before you ever thought that that was going to be a thing. What do you see as it being now? Like you look back on what it once was. You just told us some of those stories, but now you see it all over YouTube. Like what is your take on it? You know, like nowadays, the guys that are doing it and, 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 you know, you see the content, like what's your take on it now? Well, I guess first off, it's a lot more comfortable. You know, it's just, you know, there's a lot of better equipment, you know, and I think, you know, for me, it kind of spilled over from hunting, right? Where, you know, you get a spike camp or, a, you know, you're up on a mountain and, you know, the, the equipment's gotten so much better, whether it's a sleeping bay that you can pack up the mountain, an air mattress, you know, all the equipment's gotten so much better. And so, you know, that applies to ice fishing too. You know, the equipment that we have now is so much better that it's not really roughing it. You know, it's pretty, pretty uh, cush compared to what we started out with, you know, and so, it isn't like a survival expedition where, you know, you have to test your merits and you're going to be miserable all night. I mean, it's, it's really comfortable. And so I think that's why more people are doing it, you know, and the word gets out, you know, and people can see that, yeah, I, it's something that anybody can do with just a little bit of forethought and, you know, just some real basic equipment. And once you have the equipment, the stuff lasts forever, you know, and so... I think more and more people are doing it, you know, especially like drive to destinations where it's maybe off the beaten path. And like you said, you know, it just isn't northern reaches of Canada where, you know, the closest hotel is 30 miles away, you know, and just a lot easier to, you know, you can either beat yourself up driving back and forth at the end of the day, beginning of the day, and then trying to find something to eat 
staying in a hotel and none of the restaurants are open that later, you can just, you know, be self-sufficient and kind of take care of yourself. And so there's a lot to like about it. And, uh, I don't know, there's just something about sleeping on the ice, you know, and just hearing the ice crack and pop and catching a few fish through the ice, eating out on the ice, you know, and, and, uh, obviously you want to do it with your good buddies. Um, it's just a, it's just a neat, neat experience. I think anybody would, would enjoy if they ever had a chance to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that brings me to kind of the next question. I really want to kind of dive into this a little bit more. Now, uh, we filmed recently earlier this winter uh, an ice camping episode. Uh, I kind of want to just have you talk about that, you know, the decision making behind it. Who were we with? Um, you know, how did that all come together? You know, where was it? Why, you know, why did you want to do it? Um, you know, where we did it. Uh, we filmed that episode. I think it's on YouTube, but I just kind of want to have you talk about talk about doing it, you know, recently and, and what we filmed and kind of wrap that all up into a package. And then maybe we'll kind of dissect some of the little elements to, to that episode. Yeah, so we were out in Lake Sakakawea and we were filming with uh, Eric Myrie, who is, a, I guess, a buddy of mine I grew up with. I mean, we went to high school and college together. He graduated one year ahead of me. So when we were young, we did a lot of stupid stuff together, you know, and fishing and stuff and uh you know, yeah, when we were broke, didn't have any money, and, and um, yeah, we uh, sometimes we were ice camping because nothing worked, and we were out of gas, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, we did a lot of stuff, and uh, so just fun to come back out there and catch up, and, you know, and obviously, you know, I can't stress enough how far the, the equipment's come, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, and there was stuff available back then, I'm not saying there wasn't, I mean, you could get an army cot, you can get a warm sleeping bag and you know and a heater and all that kind of stuff but uh you know even like the sunflower heaters that we used back then you know were notorious for carbon monoxide you know and so you you had to think that through you know and and uh, you know we were just using a blue tarp you know with a on our portable houses and you know wind would cut right through that you know and so the hubs that are available today, the thermal hubs you know with the insulation I mean they're they're a lot warmer a lot less condensation you know you don't have water dripping on you in the middle of the night like we had back in the day you know and you know, even the rubber mats i don't think that was even available that wasn't even a thing you know and and you can get those at just any hardware fleet store and uh the heaters have come a long ways you know uh, the cots are even lightweight i mean my sleeping bag folds up to about the size of a loaf of bread you know and it's i don't know what the rating is for it, but it's you know something that i use you know on high altitude belt hunts and you know, hunting trips and stuff. And so, you know, the, the equipment's just gotten more, I guess, more portable or lightweight. It's built for that specific purpose. And, you know, and a lot of this stuff's really good. And so when you look at, it, you know, a hub shelter is one of the cheapest hub shelters you can get, or one of the cheapest shelters you can get. You know, you're less than $500 for a really, really good, fully insulated thermal hub shelter. You've got a cot, you've got a sleeping bag, maybe a Coleman stove, a buddy heater. Uh, a rubber exercise mat or you know some type of rubber matting which i think is important because otherwise it just gets to be a big water just a puddle of water and it's slippery and it's wet and so the rubber mat is is a really important piece of equipment carbon monoxide detector um maybe an electric fan which you know you can just buy at a hardware store or a camping store they just run on batteries just a regular fan that you know for like tents or camping and uh, some led lights and you know and you can get a little bit more 
sophisticated. I mean, there's hub lock accessories from Clam where you can use get rattle reels, you can get LED lights that mount right onto your hub assembly and your inside your fish house, so you can maximize your room that way. But uh, you know, it's really really simple. You know, it's more like a it's just like it's a camping trip. You know, it's no different than you go to the lake and camp at the lake for the weekend you know it's basically the same stuff except you have to worry about the the heat you know and, and obviously you know you want to stake your or uh, use the ice acres to you know tie down the straps on your shelter make sure that the shelter's secured and banked up good and stuff but uh you know once you do all that and put in all the work i mean you know you can cook you can use it as a base camp you can do a little exploring each day you can obviously fish right where you're located but uh just becomes kind of the base of operations for your trip. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think more and more people are doing it all the time. I mean, it just gets easier and easier. The equipment gets better. And, you know, like you said, you know, you look at YouTube and there's some great examples, you know, how people have kind of configured and set up their fish houses for that type of trip. And, and um, you know, you see it a few times and, well, I, that's something I want to do. That's why I, I want to do that with my buddies, you know, and pretty soon more people are doing it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, kind of, and we, well, I definitely want to pick apart a few of those, those key gear elements, um, you know, at least towards the end anyways, but you know, the next big topic I think for, for this ice camping deal is talking about the different bites and like, like when you're trying to decide where to go, you know, and, and how to do this, the, I imagine to some extent, you know, whatever you can do, whatever is available, wherever you live, if it's, you know, just if you have one particular lake that you're comfortable going on. But if you kind of can pick and choose, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, that ice camping is more conducive to the bites that, you know, you might get a chance at night. So it's a lot of walleye and crappie uh, type stuff, especially if you just watch it on YouTube a lot. Like, you know, it seems like a lot of those guys are fishing, you know, kind of specific type of bites, specific kind of places. Talk a little bit about that. Like if somebody's looking at their options to do a fun ice fishing deal, whether it's, you know, just a fun camaraderie deal with their family, like, uh, or friends, like, what should what what would be the kind of bites, the kind of patterns, you know, the, these wintertime patterns that you think, you know, species, lakes, just get as specific as you think you want to get that might be most conducive to having a good experience ice camping, but also catching fish. Well, you know, walleyes and crappies are, are definitely at the top of the list. And as eel pout, you know, I know a lot of people that, oh, yeah. you know, that spend the night on the lake just to catch eel pout. And I think if you have a opportunity of catching a fish after dark, I think that's a big plus. And then obviously the remoteness, you know, the logistics, you know, maybe it's a deal where, you know, you're out somewhere where you're just, just a long ways to get back and forth and you don't want to drive back and forth each day, you know? And so I would say logistics, you know, how remote the area is and then the, you know, the after dark fishing opportunities all kind of add up. And then there's a lot of factors, you know, maybe you're, on a lake that uh you know you there is no night bite maybe it's not even that remote but you're with four buddies and you're in college and you don't have enough money to drive back and forth and you got to make a weekend of it and you're not going to get a hotel you know it might be that simple right there's a lot of different reasons you know but uh for me you know uh it's you know catching fish after dark and then you know logistics and, and it's funny you know when we were growing up you know and and when this, it wasn't called ice camping, it was called being so broke, you can't afford a hotel and you don't have enough gas to drive back and forth. And so you just laid out there and fished and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, 
I, I thought I arrived when I didn't have to sleep in my fish house or my boat or my pickup anymore. And, um, I could get a hotel room, you know, and, and if you've done a lot of, uh, being broke, sleeping in your pickup, sleeping in your boat, uh, et cetera, uh, hotel and a hot shower and a warm bed is the most wonderful thing ever. You think, man, I've arrived. I've made it. I've made it. I'm sleeping in a hotel, you know, but, uh, you know, now, with the equipment how how good it's gotten how comfortable everything is now you you can do some of this stuff and you don't feel like you're roughing it you don't feel like you're roughing it i know people that take their wives out they take their wives and their kids out and they ice camp you know and and again if you take the 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 right preparations and have the right equipment you know you're not roughing it at all you can eat good you can sleep good fish good i mean it's a great way to live so The JMO Podcast is sponsored by Long Haul Trucking. Long Haul's always looking for more skilled professional CDL drivers to join their team. They're a people-first company, and it shows. Their employee-owned, asset-based fleet of over 350 Conestogas is among industry leaders in pay and benefits geared towards long-term success and growth for company drivers and owner-operators. If you're a professional driver or a company that wants to ship product with the best in the business, get a hold of Long Haul at one 800 255 5153 or find them online at longhaultrucking.com. Long haul, running on the power of promises kept. You know, for me to just comment on when we when we filmed that episode earlier this year, it was just a ton of fun. And it was, you know, it was a ton of fun for everybody. You know, you yeah. and uh you know, to go back and do something on a lake that you have a ton of history with, you know, with a good buddy that, you know, you have all that history going back in the day, doing all these things, being broke, but then to be able to kind of, you know, choose, you know, voluntarily choose to do it, you know, do an ice camping deal and, 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 and to experience it with all the nice equipment, it was just kind of fun for all of us. And it was just like, definitely just sort of a, a little bit more of an, ex, of a filming experience too, as a crew, right? There's production and stuff. Um, you know, that's probably what a lot of people don't see when they're consuming content or whatever they might, you know, it's like an edited version of everybody ice camping, but you know, like keeping camera batteries warm and like being prepared for all those sort of things. Like there's definitely some calculations It there's, it, it definitely, the majority of the thought process behind doing some of this stuff is the camping and the logistics. It's not the fishing, the fishing dwindles, or at least the amount of decision-making kind of dwindles, but but yeah, no, yeah, that was a, a that big was a part of it's, you know, deciding what you're going to eat, right? And planning some meals, you know, and, and obviously you want to eat good when you're out there and, and, uh, you know, that's a big part of it too. That adds a lot of fun, you know, and, and we ate fish when we were out there and, you know, and just, uh, lived like Kings, you know, and, and I think too, there's, there's just something to be said for, you know, you're in a you know like we were sleeping in a hub shelter which you know you could sleep in different types of shelters i mean it wouldn't have to be a hub and obviously look at the people that ice camp in permanent fish house i mean that's like spending the night in a camper you know you have bunks and rattle reels and tvs and you know everything that's a big thing for people but uh i think it's just a matter you know it's a deal where you're just getting away you're unplugging you know i think that's the big attraction that's why you see so many ice castles and different fish houses out on the lakes is that people just want to unplug and get away you know and just you know they catch a fish it's a bonus but there's just something to be said for waking up in the morning and you're on the lake and you're in you when you wake up 
to a rattle reel, I don't know if there's anything better than that. You know, waking up to a rattle reel and catching a fish when you're half asleep and then crawling back into your sleeping bag. You know, I mean, that's just best interrupted sleep there is, you know. So there's a lot of things that I like about it. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Let's... Let's get back into the gear a little bit. We'll kind of, you know, kind of pick apart, you know, maybe like four or five. And we kind of did this for the episode as well. So, you know, if I'm repeating myself referencing that YouTube episode, go and watch it. Anybody that's, uh, you know, listening, go and watch that episode. It's just a ton of fun, um, you know, and you're kind of definitely hearing the long form conversation about it. So uh, it'd be kind of fun to go back and watch it. Uh, um, but the gear list and just... You know, I don't think there's any one particular gear list that just would cover everybody's situation and everywhere everybody is, right? Like, there's different elements, but there is there is a few, you know, categories of gear that you kind of have to have. You know, you've been mentioning, you know, the, the, a fish house. you got to have some sort of a shelter, right? And, and we're talking ice camping, not the hard-sided shack, not the ice castles or whatever of the world, more like the hubs, um, you know, and you were talking yeah. about having a good yeah, I- floor. Yeah, and I know people that have camped out in a, in a flip over, and it works, you know, especially like a two man flip over, and you know that that'll work. But uh, you know, as far as having room to like, you know, move around and cook and stuff, you know, some of these hubs are perfect. You know, they just have the the space, you know. So we had like a, a JM six hundred, which is a, a hub sold at Shields, and it was perfect for two people. We could have probably squeezed three people in with cots, you know, because cots take up a lot of room. You know, but you definitely want to have a cot in. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, just something to get you off the ice. You definitely want to have some type of a rubber floor. Some of the floors kind of piece together almost like a jigsaw puzzle. Those work. Some people use a bigger one piece rubber floor, like people call them exercise mats. Just something to lay down because the ice is going to be slick and it's going to be slippery. It's going to be water, you know, and so you want to put that put that rubber floor down then you're not standing in water you know you can walk around in socks or slippers you know and so the rubber floor is important you know obviously you want to have a good heat source you know, like just a like a heat hog you know just a really a just a, a good heat source and then you know you've got maybe a, a fold-up table that you know and a lot of this stuff can be found like in a camping department you know like a you know this camping stuff you know fold-up tables cots you know, your sleeping bag, your pillow. I think electric fans are really nice. Just kind of distributes the heat because all the heat collects at the top of the fish house, pushes it down, and kind of circulates. A shovel, you know, bring a shovel. That way you can scrape the ice or scrape the snow off the ice, so that way you're right down to the bare ice. That way you have less water as it warms up because these houses are going to warm up. I mean, it's going to be, you know, 70 degrees in there, you know, and then make sure that you bank the outside of that house really well so that way you don't get wind blowing underneath the skirt. You know, and as far as some other things, you know, you're going to need lighting. You know, LED lights are probably the most, you know, easy, you know, run on batteries. You know, you could use a lantern, but, you know, in today's world, LED lights have kind of taken over what a propane lantern used to do. But, uh, you know, well, what else? Oh, a carbon monoxide detector. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. you know, something not to skimp out on, you know. Um, you know, these a lot of these hub shelters have ventilation and stuff. You don't want to take any chances with that. I mean, there's there's enough horror stories of that, you know, where ice fishermen fall asleep in a fish house and never woke up, you know. Um, what else is important? I think rattle reels, you know, if you're going to be out there, you might as well have a line in the water when you're sleeping. Um, you know, some type of a cook stove, some way to prepare food. Um, I, got, I got get- a few, you know, like... You know, being a cameraman uh, on the production side really amplified. But I think this this would relate to anybody is like, 
you know, you can go fishing on a day and maybe forget to, to uh, charge your Vexlar, for example, but it still has enough battery to carry the day. But, you know, we're talking about doing an overnighter and things are turned on a lot. Having spare batteries, you know, whether it's double A's for something else or, you know, a cell phone charger and, and that sort of thing. I think that stuff would go a long ways. Or if you didn't have it and you needed it, that would really put a damper on the trip. Absolutely. And like a jug of water, you know, wet wipes, you know, that's another thing you're going to want to have. And it's no different than a camping trip, right? I mean, you build, yeah. kind of clean yourself up a little bit so you can stand yourself. And, um, uh, oh, goodness, you know, your, your cooking stuff, you know, whether it's some pots or pans, you know, maybe some paper plates, um, you know, some cups for drinking. I mean, you know, just the same things that you'd have on a camping trip or the same things that you'd need for ice camping. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I like that, like, just kind of having that sort of laid-back conversation about this stuff that you got to have because, you know, I mean, this is the kind of conversation about ice camping that you're not going to see it on YouTube necessarily. You're not going to see it on a TV episode. We just You just don't have the time in those formats to really go, you know, to, to really take the time to just kind of think and pick that stuff apart. So I think that we're definitely covering some good stuff here. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, as far as ice camping goes, that episode was just a ton of fun. It was really nostalgic. And I think there's a lot of that for, for the people that are out there choosing to do it. It's, you know, it's just kind of a, like you said, it's just kind of a getaway from whatever their normal weekend activity is. Um, you know, you don't have to go through the rigors of driving back and forth and doing whatever. It saves cost, you know, regardless of, of uh, how you're doing it. It definitely uh, saves on your time and everything. So, all good things, man. All good things. Um, anything else about ice camping that we should maybe touch on in this particular episode? I think we covered kind of everything that we did recently in that episode pretty well. Um, you know, a lot well, of here's, here's something I think that's probably one of the most important aspects of this is that you need to have the right crew. Okay. You need to, you know, we always joke, you know, you have to embrace the suck. You know, you have to, you know, when things go wrong, things break, things are a little miserable, whatever. You know, you just kind of have to laugh some things off and not. You know, you don't want to be ice camping with whiners, okay, or people are just really soft. You know, I mean, there's just some people that are just, you know, they're just terrified of everything or they complain about everything. And, you know, it's kind of a deal where, you know, if you're like going to go on a, say, a flying fishing trip, you're going to be on an island all by yourself for a week with no internet, no cell phone coverage, no nothing. Sounds like paradise, right, until you're on that island with the wrong crew of people. You know, so it's either a deal where you have the best week of your life or it's a deal where you can't wait to get off the island when the float plane finally comes back to get you. You want to be with the right crew, you know, and so, you know, you want to be with, you know, people that, uh, you know, don't complain about stuff and, you know, because there's going to be, you know, there's going to be things that break. There's going to be things that, oh, you know. One thing, you know, you're going to forget one thing on your list or you're going to have something that should have been on your list that wasn't and think, boy, the next time we do this, we need to have one of these or we need to do this or whatever, you know, it isn't always going to be perfect, you know, and um, you have to, you know, find the right group of people that kind of embrace life and enjoy life when things aren't perfect, you know, it's kind of up to you whether you're going to have fun sometimes or not in this world. And um, so I think, you know, there's definitely... I can think of some people that I would never go ice camping with, you know, and uh, the more days that I was out there, the more remote it is that my list of people that I would go ice camping with gets smaller and smaller. <laughs> if that yeah. makes any sense. Oh yeah. It makes a ton of sense. And that's probably why you see, you know, a lot of these guys that are doing it, making, making videos, they're doing it by themselves. There's probably a reason for that. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's something I'd want to do by myself. I mean, cause it's so much fun. You know, there's a lot of camaraderie, especially when you do it with people that you really know well and you laugh about stuff and talk about stuff that you probably would never, you know, talk about in a bar or a restaurant or a public setting, you know, and, and I think there's something to be said for that, you know, people you grew up with, you know, people that knew you when you're in high school or, you know, when you're young, I mean, there's something to be said for that. You know, you have laughs and you talk about things with that type of crowd, you know, that knows you really well, you know, that you probably don't talk with about, you know, you don't have those conversations with anybody else, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's, it's something to be said for that is you want to pick your crew, but if you pick your crew, well, I mean, it's, it's a, you have a great time. If you have any fishing memory that you would like to commemorate or have questions about commemorating a fishing memory with a replica made of any fish that has ever graced your net, get in touch with Rizavi Fish Replicas, owned and operated by Jamie Rizavi over in uh, New Rockford, North Dakota at Rizavi Taxidermy Studio. You can find them online at RizaviTaxidermyStudio.com or find them on Facebook at Rizavi Taxidermy Studio. You can see the pictures here at the JMO headquarters in Devil's Lake. We have some phenomenal replicas made by Jamie and his crew hanging on our walls, which we absolutely love. They look absolutely perfect, just like the fish that were reeled in that day. And every chance we get to go in and admire them and tell those stories and share those stories with each other, we absolutely do. Again, if you want, or if you have any questions about getting a fish replica made to commemorate any great trophy memory you have of fishing, Get in touch with Jamie Rizvi at Rizvi Fish Replicas. You won't be disappointed. That, I think we got all, almost a wrap up the ice camping conversation with that point right there. Because if you, like you say, with all the gear and all the recommendations, you can you can do your own thing and make your own decisions on a lot of that stuff. But man, there's just there's no substitute for good or bad company. And uh, yeah, that's an excellent point. But we do still have a couple minutes left, so I would say. You know, the only update I have, or the only other thing I have on here was maybe some updates from you. Um, you know, you're on Devil's Lake. You've been spending quite a bit of time out there. You've been filming some other episodes. What would be some notable things that come to mind that we could just get, uh, you know, five minutes of good updates from you and, and get some good fishing uh, fishing talk? Well, you know, we've had a good perch bite overall in Devil's Lake. I mean, Devil's Lake, uh, you know, the perch numbers are up. I mean, we're catching some nice fish, you know it's it's fun i mean we've been we've been seeing a lot of good perch bites across the lake this winter and i think probably the average that i'm seeing is probably about 36 to 39 40 feet of water is kind of where i've been doing most of the fishing for perch and it's you know four pound braid small tungsten jigs you know loaded up with either spikes or wax worms almost dead sticking it when the fish come in that's been kind of the program and as long as you have a flow of fish where you're marking fish, sometimes you'll pull your hair out where, you know, fish follow it up and follow it down and don't hit and you're fighting and clawing for each bite and you, you catch a few and they can add up and then you might get one or two flurries a day where you might catch five, ten fish in a short amount of time and that ends up being a great day. But um, I don't know if it's just a light penetration or angle of the sun or whatever, but there's times where you'll mark fish and you just pull your hair out and then for whatever reason, you will know, be a half an hour where they, they actually come up and bite you know and so that being said you know we've had some good perch fishing on devil's lake walleyes we've been finding them you know we've been getting them on deeper rocks and structure and stuff like that but been catching a lot of walleyes in like seven to 12 feet of water especially in the mornings and the evenings you know main lake structure you know big sand points reefs uh points coming out of the main lake uh that type of stuff's been holding fish and uh 
you know, that's pretty typical. I mean, people think, oh, the fish go deep, you know, come midwinter, especially when you get a lot of snow on the ice. But I think, I don't know, there's something about a lake. When the, when when lakes are big, they sometimes set up differently. I think Devil's Lake's big enough where, you know, there's shallow walleye bites that pop up right in the middle of the wintertime. And um, this winter is no exception. And so we're seeing some good perch fishing, good walleye fishing on Devil's Lake. It is tougher getting around. Uh you almost need a snowmobile or tracks as of right now. Now they are plowing trails out of Woodland Resort. They're plowing trails out in front of the casino. I think East Bay was plowing trails too. I know there were some trails in the lake down towards Black Tiger that I assume were coming out of East Bay. But, uh, you know, without a snowmobile or tracks, it is harder to get around. I mean, there's going to be a fair amount of snow. And for whatever reason, all this last week, week and a half, you know, it's starting to get a lot more slush on the ice too. So um, that's something to consider as well. So. Right on, man. Uh, you know, that is a huge consideration when you're looking at the conditions on the ice. Um, you know, talking about that is when you're out on Devil's Lake, what what is the what are the setups? I mean, I know you got side by you got a can M, you got the defender with tracks. Um, are tracks still the deal out there? Are guys still getting around a little bit with wheeled machines? I mean, what's uh, what's kind of your update? And maybe the potential forecast for the next, you know, couple of weeks, if anybody's planning on going up there, what should they be considering as far as the conditions? Well, you better have a snowmobile or tracks if you're going to get off one of the plowed roads. I mean, you know, there's some plowed roads in, uh, in front of the casino or out in, you know, in front of Woodland out in Creole Bay, just mentioned. But uh, beyond that, it's, it's really tough. I, don't, I haven't seen any pickups out on the ice that weren't on one of those trails. Right on, man. Right on. Um, you know, and then filming wise, um, you know, there's been a couple of projects. Uh, Winnipeg was a big one that 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 uh, video just launched, um, and that was kind of a cool video. You guys had a, a a big crew up there, and it was just kind of like a a real great return trip. You know, that annual trip to to Winnipeg uh, with a, a some some old company, and then some some fresh and new company with Max. Why don't you talk a little bit about that trip? Yeah, you know, we just got back from Winnipeg here not too long ago, and, you know, and it was classic Winnipeg. I mean, the weather was actually pretty nice, you know, for January. I mean, it was, it could be a lot worse, and we were actually able to fish outside, which is a real blessing, you know, and for just finding fish and covering water, and and so, yeah, it was a fun trip. You know, we had Scott and Shelly, which they've done some stuff up in Manitoba with us before, and then uh, uh, Luke, and then we had Max Wilson with. He was his first time up to Winnipeg, and so that was fun for him. And uh, and then we were fishing with uh, guide Dan Kizak that uh, I'd known him for years and known of him for years, but never filmed with him. And so it was just a fun trip. We caught a lot of fish overall. I mean, some days are better than others, but um, I don't know. We we saw some. You know, we saw a handful of those bigger fish that kind of make Lake Winnipeg famous. But uh, it, it's just a favorite trip each year you know just because you have that potential each big bite could be a massive walleye you know and uh even on the tough days you're still catching walleyes you know that i always joke you know your your uh, expectations sometimes get out of whack on like winnipeg in the sense that you know say if you go up to winnipeg and say like the, the first day we were up there you know there were six of us fishing and i think we maybe caught collectively maybe 30 fish most of them were 17 to maybe 21 inches and we might have had maybe a 24 inch fish is the biggest fish of the day right if that was on red lake or lake of the woods or anywhere else that'd be a great day of fishing you know but up there that was like that was a that was kind of a down day you know and um you know 
just the sheer number of fish in that lake is just just incredible you know and and just how it sets up you know it's not a lot of structure you got to move around a lot yeah you can go from zero to hero in a, in a hurry you can have a half a day that just kicks your butt and then you know make one move and all of a sudden it's you know you're, you're redeemed you know and so lots of highs and lows on winnipeg but the highs are high that's what i love about it oh yeah and you know we were there uh you know, we were there to film you know that was that was January, early January, and I think you know Winnipeg gets a lot of a lot of notoriety for those big walleyes, especially as you push closer to later ice where they're a little bit more full of eggs. They might weigh a little bit more, and just kind of how that goes. But talk a little bit about being there at a different time of year. I mean, there there was far less participation. It's like we had the whole lake to ourselves. It was pretty unbelievable. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and kind of maybe promote that a little bit? Yeah, I think January is a, a really an underrated time frame up on Winnipeg. And we, we've been up there in the past in January. In fact, some of the biggest fish we've ever caught out of Winnipeg were in January. You know, and I and I, I don't have any like scientific uh, basis for this, but just observations, just talking to people. And there's other people that kind of have this thought too. But uh, just from people I've talked to and just being up there myself, I think it almost feels like some of the biggest fish, some of the more big fish are caught in January early on. And I don't know why that is, you know, maybe it's a deal where they get caught, you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe that's, I, I have no idea why, but it just seems like January is a good month up there for big, big fish. You know, I'm talking, you know, 10 pounds or bigger, 12 pounds or bigger, you know, that's when a lot of them are caught in obviously in March, you have a lot nicer weather as a rule of thumb. Right. But I think the other thing that happens in January is that, you know, it might not be say a sunrise and sunset bite up there because the water's steam, but it might be a mid morning and an afternoon, you know, and a lot of times you'll have a little bit of a lull during the middle of the day. And when the days are short, everything is squished together more where your, your lulls aren't as big. They're not as long. Whereas you get in March when you have those really long days, you know, you might have four or five hours where it's just just pulling your hair out before you get that next bite window because the days are so long, everything gets spread out. And, you know, lake trout fishing can be that way too. January can be one of the best times. If you can stomach the weather that can occur, you know, uh, January of those shorter days, there's a lot of advantages to that where your bite windows are pushed closer together. You don't have as much daylight. And so I think that's another factor, another thing that I really like about January. But, um, it is, you know, easier. I mean, uh, you'd be a lot more flexible with your schedule, for example. I mean, lodging's wide open in January. Whereas in March, you have to plan ahead. You know, there's a lot. I mean, you've seen it in March. I mean, just oh, yeah. thousands of people out there. You know, January, you know, hardly anybody, you know. So there's a lot to like about it. Yeah, and I mean, like for me, my opinion doesn't mean nothing. But for being up there, you know, for work and, and us filming, we've been up there multiple times, different times a year. And you talk about your chance, if you're just the average guy and you're going up there for, say, the first time, or you've been up there a few times in March and you haven't caught your big one yet, like you're still looking for that, I think considering January or an earlier time frame, because you don't share pods of fish nearly like you do in March. You have so much more freedom to really just kind of, you know, execute your whole playbook and, and move and groove and, and just really pioneer spots, which is a big name of the game up there whereas in March if you go up there and you're kind of dependent on a few things or a few other people a lot of times you're 
you know, you're kind of taking the lowest hanging fruit, which is, uh, you know, where other people are fishing and getting fishing reports. And it's a lot of shared fish and, and, you know, the, the, all the noise on the ice and whatever. And I just think, you know, for me, just looking at it objectively face value, kind of an outsider looking in, I love when we were there this year, you know, early, earlier in the year where there, we fished almost 90% of the time, more than a mile, sometimes more than three, four miles from the nearest group of other people fishing. It was just unbelievable to imagine. Yeah. So that, that's just my take, you know, well, especially that, that, that second day, I think the first day, you know, we were kind of around people. I mean, but you know, the closest person might've been 400 yards away or, you right, know what I mean? Right. But there was, we could see people, you know, the second day we went off a different direction and yeah, we hardly even saw anybody, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and it was like by far a better day, right? Like it was a it was a huge upgrade of a day. We we fished totally different water and everything, and yeah, it's just amazing to look across, you know, like a great lake. It's like an ocean of water, you know, when you when you're looking across it, and it's like any the closest person is just a dark speck, you know. It's just like way out there. It's pretty pretty darn cool, man. Well. This is definitely a wrap. This is a great update from you, and I love the conversation about ice camping. This will be our token ice camping episode. We didn't have one before. We have one now. we got some great gear recommendations, a great story to, to hear from you, uh, and all of that tied together. So thank you so much for the time. Uh, just another one, uh, another one for us. So anything else that you want to add or promote or anything that you want to throw out there, go ahead. Otherwise, this is a wrap, man. Yeah, no, I can't think of anything. I think we covered it all. So. Perfect. All right, done deal, man. I'll let you back to it, and I appreciate you appreciate you being able to execute this, Jay. You bet. We'll talk to you later. All right, later, man. <laughs>